Well, good morning. So, Pastor Guy will be back next week, and he is on a new baby vacation, which doesn't sound like much of a vacation to me, but we expect him back next week. I'm glad that you're here and that you've come to worship with us today, and I'm excited to share with you. You know, it happens to me uh, fairly often, and perhaps you've had the same kind of experience where you're having a conversation with somebody, maybe it's a friend, or maybe it's just an acquaintance, or maybe it's somebody that you've just met, but in any event, they bring up some kind of a current controversial issue. And there are plenty of those things to go around these days, things like gay marriage, the ordination of gay pastors, abortion, euthanasia, transgenderism, and there's lots more to add to that list. But when somebody brings these topics up, I usually end up saying something to the effect of, you know, I just think that's wrong. Or maybe I'll say, you know, the Bible's clear on that one being wrong. And then it happens, and it's probably happened to you. I'll be told that I shouldn't be so judgmental. Or better yet, I'll be asked, how can you claim to be a Christian and be so judgmental? Or the best one of all is, you can't be a Christian and judge Jesus said in the Bible, judge not lest you be judged. Well, we certainly live in interesting times, don't we? We're told that we should tolerate, even celebrate all kinds, really every kind of unimaginable behavior. In fact, our society currently tells us that the worst label we could ever have is to be labeled as being somehow intolerant. So should Christians judge? That's the subject that I want to talk about today. And I think it's a very important subject to discuss. And I love these types of topical discussions because they give us a chance to learn how to study the Bible and to learn more about the uh, character of God, which is so important. And in my mind, God is always this very big subject. In fact, if you believe like I do that he created the whole universe, he created everything that we see around us, everything that we experience, if you think he created that, then really he's the biggest subject of all subjects because he encompasses all the rest. And so when we try to uh, wrap our tiny little brains around this uh, idea of God, if I had to use one word to describe him, it would have to be the word holy. The word holy, I think, describes God in one word best of all. And Webster describes holy as this. He says holy is, is exalted or worthy of complete devotion as one perfect in goodness and righteousness. And I like that wording a lot because in that description, in just simple terms, Webster is saying that God is complete. He's 100%, but he's 100% love and also 100% truth. And can I tell you that we get life totally out of balance when we see God as 100% love, but we fail to see him as 100% truth. Several years back, I coined the phrase that I think is still appropriate, but I said a lot of people see um, Jesus in what I call the hippie Jesus syndrome, where they see Jesus as this hippie kind of guy who's all love and peace and goodwill and every good thing you can think of. But we make a big mistake, I'm telling you, if we don't see God as 100% truth as well. Yes, God does love us. He does forgive us when we seek forgiveness. However, he is also the holder of all truth and truth that he gives us in his book, the Bible. His truth is about right living. It comes with instruction about how we should behave and what our lives as Christ followers should look like. 
And ultimately, can I tell you that the same Christ who loves us with this unbelievable love will someday judge us with unbelievable truth. That's what the Bible says. So we're to be people of the word and not just knowing what the Bible says, but living it out in our lives according to the principles and behaviors that it prescribes. Let me pray and we'll get into the message here. Lord, I just thank you today for your blessed word that you give as a beacon of light to shine to us so that we might know how to live rightly in sight of you. Lord, we just love you so much and I thank you for all the people that are gathered here today to hear from you. So I ask you to speak boldly through me on this day. In your precious and holy name I pray. Amen. So just three simple points in a short message this morning that I want to make about this whole subject of judgment. First is that I believe we must judge. We must judge. In fact, we cannot live according to God's direction and plan for our lives unless we learn to judge and do it well. By judging, I mean that we are to look at the things of life that are coming our way. There are things come our way every day, and we're to be discerning about that. That is, judging what is right and what is wrong. What's good for us, what's bad for us. Who is good for us, who is bad for us. And ultimately, to be judging what am I doing that's going to please God, and what can I avoid that's not going to please God. If you think about it, the idea being pushed of us uh, somehow not judging anybody is kind of ridiculous, I think, just on its face, isn't it? I mean, everyday life requires you and me to make judgments, and the consequences really are quite severe if we don't do it well. As teenagers, can I tell you that the decisions you make, the judgments you make about who you hang out with and how you conduct yourself as a teenager will bleed over into the rest of the years of your life and have a great effect on them. Can I tell you that you are in for a lot of misery if you don't exercise good judgment when you're going through the process of choosing a spouse? Can I tell you that you better be capable of judging if you're going to raise children in today's world? You better be good at judging people when you're picking a babysitter. You won't just let anybody watch your kids, right? You exercise good judgment. Can I tell you that you must be good at judging if you're going to be good at whatever you do for a living? Because no matter what that is, you must make good choices. Doing regular life well requires that we make good judgments. And if you're in search of a church today... Uh, a place that you can spend your life connecting with the people and worshiping with the people, you need to exercise good judgment in that decision as well. And the same principle applies if we're going to be faithful Christ followers. We must be capable and willing to look at things and then make judgments about whether they will enhance our relationship with God or whether they will hurt our relationship with God. And you know, Jesus actually gives us instruction that we are to judge. Um, if you were to look in John chapter 7, verse 24, at this point Jesus is teaching in the temple and he has this crowd gathered around that he's speaking to. And he tells the people gathered there, he says, look beneath the surface so you can judge correctly. Now note that he's not telling us not to judge He's not telling us to stop judging. In fact, he's encouraging us to look deep when we judge and don't just make judgments based on the pure superficial. There's another translation, the ESV, that says it this way. It says, uh, Jesus said, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Judge with right judgment. 
Um, no matter which uh, translation you like, the instruction is to not stop judging, but to judge with a deeper judgment, to look deeper than just the superficial things. Do you know that the world wants to proclaim that there is no such thing as truth? I mean, this is the age we live in. They want us to believe that truth is whatever you want it to be today. And whatever your truth is today, tomorrow your truth could be something different. The world tells us the truth is not absolute, that it's always subjective and never truly objective. The world tells us the truth is always relative to your circumstances. So your truth will be different from my truth and that we'll, our truth will be different from somebody else's truth. So now in New York State, you can abort a baby at the completion of nine months at the time of its natural birth. And even as sick as that is, others are promoting the right to kill the baby after it's been born and been living for a while. Some people have termed that uh, a right to a fourth trimester abortion. That's sickness, and it follows the lack of absolute truth in our society. But we, as Christians, are to be different than that. We're to be people of the Word of God. Um, the Bible clearly teaches that God's truth is always objective. It is always unchanging, and it is totally inseparable from the very character of God. You know, God's truth isn't swayed at all by man's desires. It doesn't change because somebody organizes a protest like the opening slide that you saw. It doesn't change because somebody holds a demonstration. And most importantly of all, God's truth doesn't change just because somebody passes a law saying, the Bible, saying what the Bible has condemned is now legal. Can I tell you this? If you want to write something down, write this down. Man's laws don't change God's truth. They just don't. God is 100% truth, and anything that contradicts God's truth is always, has always been, and will always be a lie. And to call something a lie is to necessarily pass judgment. To call murder in whatever form it takes or adultery in whatever form it takes, to call those things a sin is certainly to pass judgment. But can I tell you that is also to agree with what God says. If you're going to live a life that's spirit-led, a Christ-filled life, you must judge. And if you don't believe me, check out, uh, when you get a chance, Hebrews 5.14. Hebrews 5.14, I'm not going to go through the verse here, but it talks specifically about Christians developing the skills that we need to recognize the difference between good and evil. It's about developing our skills. It encourages us to develop those skills at being uh, good at judging. Look it up when you get a chance. The second point that I want, want to make this morning is that Jesus gives us specific warning against one type of judgment. So Jesus tells us that we need to judge, but he gives us specific warning against one type of judgment, and that is hypocritical judgment. So the verse I was referring to in, in the opening that is often quoted back at us as Christians is Matthew 7, chapter 7, verse 1. Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, where Jesus is preaching the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is Christ's longest recorded message where he instructs those that would want to follow him and how they should live their lives. He gives us a lot of real basic and important instruction on how we go through everyday life. And 
this uh, Sermon on the Mount occurs in this beautiful spot in Israel. And Karen and I just happened to have a great opportunity, and we went to Israel a couple years ago. And this is a photograph of the location where it's believed the Sermon on the Mount was preached. Just this beautiful spot along the Sea of Galilee. And if you ever get a chance, uh, just as a side here, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, what a great experience. Uh, I would never pass that up if you could do it. It's an amazing place, an amazing land. And there's something just incredible about walking on a spot where you know Jesus walked one day. So if you can ever do that, it's a wonderful experience. But anyways, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his disciples in verse 1 of Matthew 7, he says this, he says, Do not judge others, and you will not be judged. And this is one of the most quoted and probably the most misquoted verse in all of the Bible. This verse is often used by people who want to silence their critics, right? And essentially what they interpret this verse to mean is that Jesus said, you don't have any right to tell me that I'm wrong. Jesus said, you have no right to tell me that I'm wrong. But that's not really what the verse means. If we take it in isolation, Jesus' words sound simple enough. Do not judge others and you will not be judged. However, there is so much more to this passage of Scripture. And this is a great example of the errors that we can make in understanding and implementing Scripture into our lives when we take one verse, a part of a longer passage, but we just take that one little snippet and we remove it from its full context. Do not judge is just the opening three words of a much more detailed passage. And what Matthew 7 is really warning against is one specific type of judgment, and that is hypocritical judgment. Jesus is not saying that we should not make judgments, but that we shouldn't be hypocritical judges. What does it mean to be hypocritical? Well, Webster defines a hypocrite as a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion or one who acts in contradiction to his stated beliefs. Again, a person who puts on a false appearance of virtue or religion, or who acts in contradiction to his stated beliefs. But we really don't need Webster to tell us what it is, do we? I mean, we all know a hypocrite when we see it. It's someone who says one thing and then does something different. It's somebody that tries to tell you how you should do something, but they're doing the opposite. And we've all had those kind of experiences. For those of you who don't know this, I am a retired state trooper, and I spent 25 years of my life in the law enforcement profession. And the truth is that police officers don't just see themselves as enforcers of the law, but we saw ourselves as educators as well. And what I mean by that is that we like to lecture people, right? So if you get pulled over, you don't just get a ticket, but you get a ticket and a little lecture, right? Is this not your experience? The ticket is expensive. The lecture is free, yes. So I remember a couple years into my police career, I was just a young trooper, and I was sent to investigate a car being stolen from a driveway, and it was taken from the driveway right in front of the owner's house. And it was very easy to steal this car because the owner always left their keys where? In the ignition of the car. So after I collected the information to do my investigation, I thought a nice lecture would be appropriate. 
And so I told these very kind old folks, I said, how foolish it was to leave your keys in the car and that if you do that, you make stealing the car very tempting for people that are inclined to such behavior. And I even told them how there's this criminal element just surrounding us, lurking everywhere, just waiting for opportunity to steal the car. And I laid my little speech on them good, and I left their house, and I walked back to my car, and I grabbed the door handle, and when I pulled it, I realized it wouldn't open. Do you know why it wouldn't open? Yeah, it wouldn't open because I had left my keys in my car and then locked the door. So I had to do that uh, horrible walk of shame. This is in the days before cell phones. Uh, I had to walk back to the house, knock on the door, say, hey, folks, would you mind if I use your phone? i got to call the barracks. I just locked myself out of my own car. See, that's hypocrisy. It's, it's totally unintended on my part, but I sure did what I had just told them not to do. And for some reason, Jesus always hated hypocrisy. He saw so much of it in the religious leaders of his day. And it just struck him as very, very wrong. And what Jesus saw as wrong, we should also see as wrong. So let's take a little more in-depth look at Matthew 7 here and see if we can sort this out. So here's the more complete part of the passage. It says, do not judge others and you will not be judged, for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard that you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. But he goes on from there and he says, Why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? How can you think of saying to your friend, Let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? And then he says the word, Hypocrite. First get rid of the log in your own eye and then you will see well enough to deal with the speck in your friend's eye. Do you see in there the warning against hypocrisy? This is what I want you to see. Jesus is saying that you get all worked up over a speck of sawdust of imperfection that you see in somebody else, but you're ignoring the log of imperfection that you have in your own life. He says that's a hypocrite. Fix yourself, and then you can help fix other people. But he doesn't just stop there, and he goes on in verse 6, and he says, Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Some translations say, don't waste what is holy on dogs. And he goes on again. He says, don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls, and then they'll turn around and attack you. So I ask you this immediately after Jesus says, do not judge and do not be a a hypocrite. He goes on to instruct us that we must discern who the dogs are and we must discern who the pigs are. How can we recognize the dogs and recognize the pigs if we're not to judge? So I believe we are to judge. And a little later in the same sermon, Jesus says again to us the warning to watch out for false prophets. How can we know the real prophets from the false prophets if we are not to judge? I believe that we must make spiritual evaluations of the behavior and actions of both ourselves and other people. And we do this not to find fault in them, but to guard our hearts against sin and against error. When Jesus said not to judge, he did not mean that we should not identify sin for what it is. Jesus constantly spoke against this hypocritical judging. He didn't like it when somebody told another person to fix something in their life, but they had the same or bigger problem in their own. 
Jesus' main target was the religious leaders of the day, and there's a lot of this in the the Gospels uh, where Jesus does this back-and-forth battle kind of with the religious leaders. If you get a chance, though, look at the preceding chapter, chapter 6 of Matthew. In this chapter, the preceding chapter to 7, Jesus spells out what hypocrisy really looked like in his day. And he saw this grave hypocrisy amongst the religious leaders, particularly the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And he didn't really mince words when he talked about him in chapter 6. He used the word hypocrite, and he called them out just for what they were. If you look at chapter 6 of Matthew, Jesus instructs the people who are listening to him that day that they are not to be like the hypocrites, and he gives at least three specific examples. He said, number one, don't blow a trumpet in the synagogues and in the streets when you give to the poor like the hypocrites do. So it's hard for us to imagine, but back in the day, uh, these religious leaders were so pompous that they would walk around and they would be accompanied by somebody with a trumpet. And so when they were about to give a few pennies to some poor person they encountered on the street, they would have the guy blow the trumpet to get the attention of everyone around so they could be seen giving the money to the poor. How ridiculous is that? And that's what Jesus railed against. He also said, when you pray, don't be like those hypocrites who love to pray publicly on the street corners where everybody can see them. He said, instead, go off and pray by yourself. He was warning us, don't make your prayer time into a public spectacle designed just to draw attention to you. Instead, keep your prayer time private between you and God. And he went on to a third item, and he said, when you fast, when you uh, don't eat for the purpose of drawing closer to God, when you fast, don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do. For they try on purpose to look miserable and to look disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. And he goes on to instruct them. He says, instead, uh, when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, and act, like no, act so that no one will know that you are fasting. You see, the beginning of Matthew 7 is simply a warning against hypocritical judgment that Jesus observed and was described in chapter 6 of Matthew. Sometimes we want to look at the books of the Bible, and then they're separated into chapters, and we think these are like individual, standalone things. But they're not. What happened in chapter 6 and was recorded there is just a continuation into chapter 7 of Jesus' full message, the Sermon on the Mount. The third point I want to make, and the final point about judging, is that our goal in judging, it must always be about restoration. We must be about restoring other people. Perhaps you've heard the saying that we as Christians are to love the sinner, but hate the sin. And that's a great way of wording it. Uh, That quote doesn't really exist per se in Scripture, but the principle certainly does. And there's a verse in Jude, the book of Jude, verses 22 and 23, that says this, And you must show mercy to those whose faith is wavering. We must help those people who are struggling. We must rescue others by snatching them from the flames of God's judgment. And we must show mercy to still others, but to do so with great caution hating the sins that contaminate their lives. It seems to me that sometimes we as Christians, we're really good at identifying sin that we see out there in the world, but we can be really lousy at loving the people that are caught up in that sin. 
we are, are often known for our criticisms of what's going on in our culture, but we're a lot less known for a love of the people that are caught up in all this sin. So how does it work? How do we love the sinner but still hate the sin? Well, we hate sin by recognizing it for what it is. We hate sin by refusing to take part in it. We hate sin by recognizing that it is contrary to God's nature and it's contrary to his book, the Bible. We hate sin by not excusing it or not taking it lightly. But somehow, in spite of that, we still must love the sinner. And how do we do that? Well, I believe that we love the sinner by treating them with respect and with kindness, even though we do not approve of their lifestyle or their sinful choices. See, if you read on in chapter 7, you get to the part not far past where we're studying today, where Jesus gives us the golden rule, that we're to love others the same as we would want to be loved, that we're to treat others the same as we would want to be treated. We love sinners by treating them with respect and kindness, even though we don't approve of everything they do. We love the sinner by speaking truth in love because sin ultimately leads to death. And when we really love somebody, we want to rescue them from this terrible fate that awaits them. And we as Christians are really always to be in the restoration and the rescue business. That's our prime business here at the church. We're in the rest, restoration and rescue business. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now. I just want to say um, in closing that God calls his people, you and I, his people to be the light that shines in this dark world. And there's no way we can do that if we're not willing to call out the darkness and to recognize it for what it is. God wants his people, I believe, to serve him and to live life with boldness and with courage. And remember, the point of judging others is not to go around condemning people. It's not that at all, but it is to keep sin out of our lives and to help other people do the same. So the next time that you get in a conversation with somebody um, or you see uh, the judge not sign on some news story about a protest somewhere, or you see the bumper sticker on the car in front of you that says, judge not. Just uh, don't be afraid to, in love and in humility, stand up for the ultimate truth of God's word. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, just ask you to help us as followers of you to boldly proclaim your, world, your word to this dying world. Lord, we live in a dark place, and there's people all around us that need exposed to the light that only can come from you. So help us, Lord, as we uh, sing and then leave here today. Help us to be beacons of light for you into this world. We pray all this in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.